I'm Chris Riley, editor of Sweet Code and founder of Fixate. I just so happen to like food and software, so I'm going to connect with developers and engineers at their favorite places to eat and chat about what it's like to build modern applications. This is Developers Eating the World. All right, so we're in down uptown Denver, right? Uptown Denver, this is yeah. technically uptown yep. at Steubens. Um, as driving here, like I, I said, this, I'm freaked out about how much Denver's changed. It's just uh, crazy. But um, I'm sitting here with Chris, yep. and Chris, coincidentally, is Crystal's husband, yep. who is episode nine, yep. and this is episode. Did I say episode twelve? I skipped an episode, so I cheated a little bit. Why'd you pick Steubens? I, it's just a place that it's like, I like it, um, you know, kind of a chill environment. Uh, I like Uptown, and frankly, I mean, it's like they have some nice snacks, and I was, uh, I always like an excuse to come down here. Yeah, I, I'm just like totally in shock about this area, the restaurants and so forth, and yeah. you know, moving from California, one of the things that I thought I was gonna miss the most was like unique type restaurants because oh, most yeah. everything in Colorado is chains. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like chain city, you know, you can find the chilies on every corner, yep. in the mall every five miles. I mean, but it's hard to find a place like this. Crystal's, I mean, Crystal's been uh, telling me about when she first moved out here, it was like, oh, let's go downtown Denver. There's Hard Rock Cafe and there's, well, there's Hard Rock Cafe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, it's so different now. I mean, it, you know, we, we have a lot of places here where it's like, you know, oh, it's James Beard Award winner or nominee or, you know, like really top end places and also just kind of nicer places where it's like, you don't have to get super fancy to get something kind of unique. The Brown Palace, isn't that the, considered the fancy place? I think that's that's probably considered a fancy place. Uh, any place that I think I went would, there for prom. Brown I would Palace. believe it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's that, it's that sort of place. Uh, any place where it's like someone might look at you a little weird if you came in with jeans and a t-shirt, that's fancy. And I'm wearing shorts right now, so we're, we're in the right place. I dress great. <laughs> right, so Chris, tell me about your role. You're a developer. Yeah, yeah. So um, my role right now is sort of uh, everything. Um, is that what full stack is? Everything? It, it, yeah, it's, it's, really, it, it's really full stack. So um, when I first started at my current position, uh, I had a lot of QA automation experience going in, and I was I started off doing automation. Uh, since then, I moved into a full stack developer role. So we have a you know React front end, um, probably the best PHP or back end that I've ever even heard of. Like it's very very nicely uh, architected, like beautiful OO. Like if it was in Java, people wouldn't have. OO. Yeah, object oriented. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, I haven't heard that. <laughs> yeah. No, okay. my. Or maybe I haven't heard beautiful OO put together. Well, it's. Uh, I mean, it's one of those things where it sort of depends on your perspective on that whole. Thing. I like PHP. I'm a big. Yeah. yeah, yeah your yeah. perspective? Is there a perspective? There's a pers. Oh, there's perspectives. Oh yeah. Oh, shit. Well, I mean, nowadays it's like. I mean, uh, I grew up .NET, PHP, uh -huh. Java, uh -huh. so that's. Just common sense oh, the, to me. The world has changed, my friend. Now, uh, now, I mean, for the for the very online, you'll see a lot of, uh, you know, oh, you know, oh, 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 that's nasty stuff. Now it's all about functional programming and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, wow. No I longer just for academics. But well, you have a React front end, PHP yep. back end. Yep. With the 
the um, best OO. It's it's just it's very nicely architected. You know, I, I think a lot of people uh, have just seen these like ancient PHP systems that uh, you know are kind of a, a huge mess. I mean, with this, it's like we have a very nice dependency injection system. It's like everything kind of like looks up the classes and there's nice separation of concerns. Uh, sometimes there's a little too much indirection where you kind of start trying to drill down and you're like, what? Okay, this implements this interface. Where is this even coming from? And it's like, it's DI magic. Don't worry about it, uh, <laughs> which can be a little annoying. But um, Why do you think your company was able to maintain such a good architecture? Uh, because... Of you. So, well, no. <laughs> no, I, I certainly can't take any credit for that. Um, no, it's actually... So my, my boss is like, he was... Uh, he was actually, he worked at Oracle for a bit, and um, so he's pretty solid with that sort of thing. He built most of this system back in the day, and actually it's pretty much been pretty stable huh. since then. Like, you know, people add things or change things, but uh, the core system has cool. been pretty stable since, like, probably, like, what, 2014 was probably when most of it was built. 2016, there was a set of changes. But uh, other than that, it's the reason that it's been able to stay that way is because pretty much nobody's needed to mess with it too much. Um, part of the reason is. Uh, Do you have any questions? Oh. You want to get some food going? Yeah. It's, yeah, I think I know what I want. I decided outside. All right. Oh wait. Yes, chicken and waffles. That sounds good. Um, could I just go ahead and have a cubano? Cubano. Yeah. Sure. Do you want a soda fries or anything with it? Uh, Set of would be great. Cool. And I'll be back with more time for you? Yes, that'd be great. Thank you. Thank you. So, part of, the, part of the reason is, I think a lot of places run into scaling concerns, and then they have to like change everything around. Um, because the project that I'm working on, uh, Ballot Tracks, you know, it's a ballot tracking software, so you have, you kind of have to consider from the beginning that there will be seasons when you have a tremendous amount of throughput, and then you have seasons where there's just nothing. So because of that, at least a certain level of scaling was built in from the beginning. Right. And uh, we haven't had to worry too much about that since then, uh, but we're growing now, so it's like we're starting to look at, you know, oh, let's store sessions in Redis, and then we'll be oh, able to have, Redis. you know, we'll be able to Man, split up our- Man, I haven't heard our... of Redis in a long time. Yeah, Is it's... Redis still really popular? It's. I think that the hype has maybe slowed down a little bit. It's still yeah, but that's the problem with the dev space. Like you're using PHP, which I think is really refreshing to hear because, <laughs> like, it's fine. It, sure. Clearly, it does a really good job. If, if you write good code, the language is a lot right. less. Right. It doesn't matter. Oh, well, there you go. There's the quote. You write good code, the language doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so, so did you listen to Crystal's episode? I haven't yet. I haven't yet. Um, she saw a lot of mean stuff about you. Well, I'm <laughs> sure it was all deserved. <laughs> <laughs> but she told me you were a philosopher. Oh yeah, I. Um, or are a philosopher? I don't know if you can be a would-be philosopher. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep my ego in check and say I have studied philosophy. <laughs> um, yeah, that was my first major, actually. It was philosophy. philosophy. I was, uh, I was declared a philosophy minor. I changed it fairly quickly, I think, at, uh, at Regis University. Oh, yeah. Um, and, I, and before I came here, I'm like, I wonder if there's any correlation to application development and philosophy. I couldn't find one. 
I think that there are just not that many not that many people who studied philosophy. I mean, it's a small, it was a small major where I was. Although, um, a friend of mine who uh, we TA'd a class together and everything like that, um, he's actually a developer now at Pivotal, or okay. yeah. at least he was last time I talked to him. The so, Federation. Yeah, I, um, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I haven't actually used Pivotal. I'm here, you here have struggling have millions with millions and millions of dollars. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Jeez. You have a lot of money. Yeah, where is I mean, it? I don't know that's how much it costs, but I mean, they're expensive. They're pure enterprise play. And, and the, whole, the whole federation thing between EMC and all of that stuff is, is pretty amazing. EMC. Um, so you were saying, so your friend, developer at Pitiful, Developer at Pivotal, yep. he was in philosophy as well. Are you TA yep. together? Yep, yep. Uh, Buddhist reasoning and debate, which was a uh, a much more rigorous class than you'd think it would be. Uh, we had a lot of people who were like, you know, oh man, I'm into Eastern religions, and uh, they were like, I need four credits to graduate, and they take this class, and uh, it, it was it was pretty rough. Uh, if you had that kind of like, I, I would say, if you do well in that class, you could you can be a programmer, and, and a decent one because it's very it's very uh, about definitions, about figuring out the problem space, and then like you know making it smaller, making it smaller, and say I mean, pretty much it's it's interesting because the way that uh, the way that. Um, I, I believe it's Tibetan Buddhism. Uh, the way that the particular group that uh, the professor had studied and that he was teaching there worked is learning was typically done through debates. So, so a student would make a statement like, uh, you know, all men are mortal, right? And the uh, other person, their counterpart, would try to attack that position and say, well, why do you say that? And you have to justify Isn't that. that. Very like Socratesian. It is. It yeah. is actually. Um, it's. It's actually. I'd say that's a very good uh, analog. If you watch, um, or, or you know, if you watch uh, these debates going on, I mean, it's like there's a lot of movement. They're like, why do you say that? You know, uh, oh, you know, justify your response. You know, well, you said this, but you know, doesn't. This thing hold about that, and you know that condition makes it. It's it's actually it's really interesting and uh, probably a pretty fast way of learning because you look like a you look like an idiot if someone calls you out on something. So one of the areas, so where I thought philosophy and my computer science degree, the only place they uh -huh. intersected, which my my computer science degree was highly theoretical. That's uh -huh. why I came out a very bad developer. <laughs> um, but I, I spent a lot of time working on genetic algorithms. Oh, yeah. And so uh -huh. there was a lot of philosophical elements to that because you assume, you know, you assume the algorithm of genetics, you know, applies and you then you apply it in software terms. So that was interesting. But one of the things that we came across was Lisp programming. Did yeah. you ever do anything with Lisp? No, no, I um, because that's what yeah. takes the language and turns it literally into a logical structure and argument. And it's interesting. I don't know if anybody's ever using Lisp anymore. I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. Or I maybe mean, it's used in like NLP and stuff like that. 
might be. I yeah, I haven't I haven't used it or really heard of it being used a lot, but it, it's hard for me to say. I mean, I'm I'm mostly self-taught, so like maybe there's some program somewhere that goes through it, but. So what was the first language you, when you went from automation to development that you, you focused on? Well, uh, my, so my very first language was uh, <laughs> Visual Basic for Applications. Uh, Fun. With Excel macros, which was excruciating. Oh, God. Uh, if anyone, if anyone ha is like, oh, should I, should I go ahead and do my macro in Excel this way? Try, try not to. Um, <laughs> But well, just don't do macros in don't Excel. Do macros in Excel. <laughs> That's good advice. Uh, but if you have to, I mean, you'll you'll learn something. Um, but uh, my was that because you were like managing test suites that way, or that was actually because I started off in uh, as an actuarial consultant. Okay. In uh, health insurance. Okay. And so you ended up with sort of this bind where we wanted to do a number of things that were beyond the capabilities of Excel. But we had a very thorough peer review process, so if you tried to use Python or R or something like that, nobody knew what the hell it was. And so you, uh, they couldn't really review it. So you were stuck in this like limbo of you have to use things that people can review because they know it well enough, but you can't use things that actually are good for the problem you're trying to solve, so you ended up doing VBA macros. And, and some of them were pretty gnarly. Um, but uh, Man, I thought working with access databases was bad. No, uh, actually working with access databases is probably still worse. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I did that a couple times and I was like, you know what, I, I'll take my VBA macros back, thanks. Um, no, but I, I, when I was doing automation, I started off in C-sharp. Um, I had studied, um, I went back to college and did uh, a math degree. Um, and with that, I did a genetic algorithm for my final project in Java, which is not the language I'd recommend to do that in. Why? Well, it's slow. It's, it's, if that's the language, that, if that's like the first quote unquote real language that you're learning, and you're trying to do a genetic algorithm, and you have no idea what you're doing, it's, it's a lot of the things. The problem I ran into with Java and genetic algorithms is really interesting. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. go back was garbage collection. Really? Like a whole bunch of memory leaks. And I don't oh, know man. what, I don't, I don't know what I was using at the time, but I couldn't run generations fast enough. Like it was, it just wasn't logical. Probably something stupid I was doing, but. I mean, just because something's stupid doesn't mean it's easy to figure out. Uh, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, I um, my my real jump from uh, automation actually to programming was uh, was with Python. Okay. Um, so I was at Dish Network. Uh, I was part of a team where our job was to take the Excel files that people had their models in and uh, turn them into um, turn them into more like a server based. You know, everybody has access one source, or everybody who needs access has access one single source of truth thing. In addition to adding uh, predictive elements to it, why didn't they end up using like um, SharePoint and all of the expensive BI stuff you can get from Microsoft? 
Well, they did. Uh, so like pivot tables, a lot of <laughs> shit like that. <laughs> well, actually, I think it was um, we had some kind of file sharing system, but it was a nightmare. Oh, look at that! Nice. Wow. That's okay. like half a chicken. Thank you. Um, I think towards the end of my time there, they were they were looking at. Um, Oh shoot, what's that? It's it's a popular BI thing. It has a lot of graphs. It's um <laughs> Tableau? Tableau, that's the word. Um, the fact that I got that right is either <laughs> a really bad thing or a really good thing. But they were they were moving towards that towards the end, which honestly may have made sense, but um, They just got bought Tableau. Oh did they? By who? Oh shit. I shouldn't call out facts when I don't know. <laughs> um, I think Salesforce. I think so. Oh. That, that makes sense. Does they have money? I mean, it makes more sense than them buying Heroku. Yeah, that, that's a little weird. I can't, I can't keep track of all these no. acquisitions and split-offs and all this other nonsense. Um, Yes, I was right. Oh, Salesforce acquires Tableau. Yes. Yeah, that that at least makes sense. I mean, Salesforce, you have these big enterprise things. And you say we have a BI solution. Yeah. Well, and you know they're trying to expand Salesforce out to be all sorts of other things, kind of like SharePoint. You know, started as sharing files, and now it tries to be everything to everybody. <laughs> but I yeah. tell you, the architecture of Salesforce sucks. <laughs> now I'll never get a job there. Because <laughs> I said that publicly, but it sucks. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, that's kind of the classic problem with, you know, oh, my data structure does everything for everyone. You want it to do this, it does that. Anything else right now? No, uh, I think we're good. That's great. Yeah, thank you. So, question, because mm -hmm. I've never actually had chicken and waffles before. Yeah. But there's gravy here. Mm -hmm. What am I supposed to do with the gravy? I thought the syrup went on everything. This may be the part where I try to look wise by just lying to you. I have no idea, actually. <laughs> Shit. All um, right. I'll, I'll dip the chicken. Oh, I don't know what I'm going to do with the gravy. It's good gravy, though. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, well, I was going to ask you, because uh, I think it's always interesting, how do you decide like what tools, because you've been in automation, and yep. you, you know, automation requires a lot of tooling. How do you decide what tools you want to use? How do you vet them? It's a good question. Um, actually, I, an example might help answer that question. Um, so when I first started, uh, I was at a uh, .NET shop. You know, we were using C Sharp. We had this big client, um, and they did everything in C Sharp. And uh, so the natural, uh, the natural solution, with me being an idiot, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and they were like, oh, well, you should use, um, uh, I can't, I'm trying to remember what it's called. Um, there was, basically, it was like Microsoft's yeah. proprietary oh, automation. And I, I build automation in that stuff before. What is it called? So, I mean, I, I spent like half a year doing it. Um, GT, uh, no, I, I can't quite remember. But but the, the advantage of it, or the idea, I think, is that, Oh well, you can you can automate browsers, or you can automate any Windows app 
because it actually controls the mouse and that sort of thing, which sounded cool until you started running an automated test and then you needed to do something and it started clicking and typing into your code. I was afraid it would gain sentience. So was it, it was TFS, right? TFS plus, um, what is it called? Yeah, it's just it, it, awful. It was the pre-DevOps pre days. We used TFS. Um, the automation software was... We're calling it ARA, Automated Release Automation. Yeah. Well, um, so, so the browser automation stuff was, was a different thing entirely. I can't yeah. for the life of me remember what it was. Damn, um, either can I. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, we had we had stuff, you know, where it's like when Team Foundation Service or whatever or server or whatever it was, you know, was doing the bills and stuff would happen. And uh, I will say, doing browser automation specifically with uh, DevOps is is a surprisingly difficult problem. Um, it, Are you familiar familiar with um, um, Sauce Labs or like Browser Stack? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the thing with that is, it's like. And I love how I love how this works because it's very difficult to convince a company to pay for Yeah, we're yeah. doing great. It's very difficult to convince a company to pay the I mean it's a it, it looks like a decent chunk of money. I mean it's like ninety dollars a month for like any automation on browser stack, I think it is. It's and it's like if you want multiple parallel uh, goes, I mean it it scales very, very fast. But on the flip side, then it's like, okay, well, you don't want to do this, so you want to homebrew it. Now you have, you know, people who are making, you know, a significant amount of money who are spending a tremendous amount of time trying to figure out how to homebrew it, and then everyone, you always run into issues, and then it's an unreliable thing, and you're getting failures that shouldn't fail, but they block the build, and now nothing's going to production, and you have to debug, and so it's like, it sounds like you're saving money. Right. It's more fun to this is a pandemic, in my opinion. Like, this is just an awful problem that, well, first of all, most QA, QE doesn't get a budget anyways, but then why it's so hard to explain the value of these tools is remarkable. I think, I mean, and some companies are really bad about this, and some companies, I'm sure, are much better. Um, by saying, I'm sure, are much better, you probably see where I'm mostly the ones that I've worked for. But um, it's only the you, unicorns that I've heard people like just go, oh, yeah, we, you know, we they almost embrace tooling too much. Right. Well, I, that's, a, that's a problem I would love to have. <laughs> um, the, I mean, I think a lot of places it's like, a person who's on salary is a sunk cost. So you're already paying for that person. And I think that there isn't really a lot, or it's harder to quantify, like, what is the value of that person's time? And because of that, you just say, well, you're asking me to pay, quote unquote, extra for this thing, but I could just have you do it. And it's like, sure, yeah, but you I could, could be spend doing better things. 500 hours on doing this thing that, you know, so it's like, oh, you know, you're, you know, this thing that, yeah, you could have spent, I don't know what, $1,000 a year or something on it. You know, now it's like in salary time. I mean, it's like, okay, you spent like $30,000. Yeah. Trying to get yeah, we see the same in the content business where people will hire 
in-house content marketing people who can, who don't even write. And they'll pay them um, 100, 130 maybe on a, a, a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And their own their whole job is to chase down content. So there's still people who have to write it. And <laughs> it's just shocking that we get we run up because that's essentially who we compete against, and we run up against it all the time. It's like you know, I don't think you understand. You know, you're wasting these people's time. Like, have them do strategy. Have them do something more meaningful. It's really hard. I would say, especially because there are a number of places that have really weird ways of budgeting things. Um, when I was, uh, I, I managed, I managed a team of QA for a while, and um, one of the difficulties I ran into there was I said, you know, okay, I have a lot of junior people and it would really be helpful to have a more senior person other than myself, you know, where I'm trying to, you know, manage the client and manage our managers and all of that stuff. You know, it would be really great to have a senior technical person who has a lot of experience with enterprise level, you know, stuff on the technical side to help the juniors, help make sure that everything's structured right. And uh, the problem with that is that that isn't how the client budgeted things at all. The way that they budgeted things was full-time employee slots. <laughs> and they were all the same slot. Oh. So on the one hand, it was hard. To, we couldn't really, we couldn't really like charge the client more for more experienced people and less for less experienced people because they would have had to go through this whole budgeting, re-budgeting process and like renegotiate everything, which we didn't want. Um, but on the flip side, it was also hard for me to convince my boss that we could, I perhaps should, take a loss on one person, make up for it with the other people and have a happy client and then maybe figure out a way of renegotiating in the future. That's a really tough sell. Even if on paper you're still making the same amount of money or you're making like very slightly less, it's, it's a real tough sell because it's some money is more real than other money. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, it's shocking to me that like most of the conversations I have about the challenges of building automation and it, you know, nobody's ever come to me and be like, no, I hate automation. Like, autom <laughs> automation sucks. I hate it. Uh -huh. I don't want to do that. I mean, that probably was the case. There were points you know, in time where well, I would have yeah, said that. <laughs> yeah. um, but it's, it's all like stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with uh -huh. application development uh -huh. that gets in the way. That sucks. There's a there's a movement kind of form here. Right? We're all going to rise up against uh, CIOs and CFOs. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm all for it. I'll, I'll, I'll buy the pitch for it. Um, I mean, I you know I, I joke about it, but it, it is it is kind of a funny thing because at some places DevOps is sort of in a different situation, and at some places I think QA and DevOps share the struggle of you know okay, I want to make this thing easier, but in order to make it easier, I have to take time away from something I would do somewhere else. And some places it's like, oh yeah, you know that seems reasonable. And other places it's like, ooh, but you know we really don't want to make that sacrifice, or we really don't want to have to hire someone to help like pick up the slack, even a contractor. 
you know, it, it can be hard when the payoff is sort of this fuzzy thing in the future. Right. Even if everyone agrees that it's a good idea in principle. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I see DevOps, well, I see DevOps as two things. I see DevOps, the practice and the uh -huh. tactics, you know, building the automation, you know, spinning up your Jenkins, all that good stuff. Um, but I, but in general, I see it more as principles that everybody, you know, especially that anybody who's tech, technical in the organization needs to get around and kind of embrace. And you're never done. You're never there. Like you never hit the end game. Well, and, and that's that's kind of the the blessing and the curse of <laughs> that's kind of the blessing and the curse of software development in general, right? Like, on the one hand, you you know, there's always something to be to be improved on. There's always interesting things to work on. Well, there's always things to work on. Sometimes they're interesting, um, but at the same time, it's a moving target, right? You know, okay, well, man, you did a great job doing this ticket, but now we have this follow-up ticket, and then the follow-up ticket has a follow-up ticket. Oh, but then also we needed to do this entirely different thing, and it's like, well, which is more important? Well, they're both more important, <laughs> you know? And yeah. it, it, can be, uh, it can be difficult, um, and it can be easy to kind of feel like you're not actually making progress. Right. Even when you, you are, it's just you're making progress on a treadmill, you know? Right. So what would you say uh, uh, is your favorite tooling, especially in terms of all the automation you've built? Um, for, for uh, I would say for like browser automation stuff, I it, like UI automation stuff um, and API stuff, I would say. For the, for the browser stuff, I'm, I'm kind of a traditionalist, I guess, in the sense that I like... I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, Are you still working? I'm, I'm still making working him on. talk a lot. That's yeah. the problem. <laughs> um, I, I'm kind of a traditionalist in the sense that I like I like Selenium. It's tried and true. Selenium is traditionalist? I mean, I know I'm, I'm familiar <laughs> with Cypress and whatever. I mean, that's all, that's all shiny new, right? Yeah, but... I mean, I, I, I guess wow. that it's like you Man. have this new generation of tools that are coming out, and I, I like, I, I, I guess it's like I have gone through the struggle of understanding how to do things yeah, you, that yeah. now Cypress and, and other things like that are like, oh, we take care of these things, and I'm like, no, I, I want to do that. Like, I want that control. Um, but also, I guess, like, being efficient at the tool that you you have is right. is important versus spending a whole bunch of time learning a new one. Wow. Well, yeah, and that's boy, that's a that's a trade off right there. Um, we actually had at work recently, semi recently, where uh, we had a, a a moderate sized automation framework for one of the projects in Ruby, um, and. The problem with that is that the only people who knew any Ruby were the QA automation people, and uh, Ruby was certainly not a super strong language for any of us. It was more like, you know, someone had come from a place where, where the automation was done in Ruby, and so they moved it over, and they were like, well, I should do it in Ruby, because that's what I'm more familiar with. And it kind of built and became this thing that, like, existed, and no one loved it, but it was there. 
And uh, eventually we made the decision to jump to Python, which is a language that more of the developers were familiar with, so they could potentially jump in and help, uh, which they never do they or never did, do. <laughs> but you know, they could in theory. And, um, and also, I, I myself was more familiar with Python, and uh, another one of our more senior uh, technical uh, QA people is more familiar with Python. So we decided to make that jump. And it was interesting because, on the one hand, you don't lose what existed, but you do have to spend that time rebuilding things. But at the same time, it was actually very helpful because the person who had built that Ruby framework he, um, I, I would say it's more like he knew the shape of automation, but didn't necessarily know programming in a broader sense. So he resisted at first, because it's kind of this scary thing where it's like you're going from, I know how to navigate within this ecosystem to like, you're out in the ocean and you don't know, are there sharks? Is there land nearby? I don't know. And that's how he felt moving to Python. But I'm actually really proud of him now because uh, he went from, I sort of don't know how to program that much aside, outside of the scope of what I'm used to, and I'm scared of it, to you know, his questions started like, you know, what's a class? How does this work? How does a class differ from an object? You know, what, you know, what is this whole thing? To now it's like, I'm trying to do this, and I'm saying, you know, is it better to abstract things in this way or in that way? You know, I'm having this stuff and I'm trying to parameterize it, but, you know, like the way that the program bootstraps itself, is this the right order? And I'm like, these are great questions you're doing. And he, he will say sometimes, he's like, I'm frustrated because I still don't know very much. And I'm like, the, based on the questions you're asking, Based on the questions you're asking, your understanding is so much right, further than it was previously. just to me that Ruby has poisoned people's brains because I've been <laughs> wanting, I've been wanting proof of whoa, that whoa, for whoa, a long hold time. Hold up! <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I've been trapped. <laughs> this is entrapment. Programming entrapment. <laughs> okay, so Selenium. Yeah. Um, what else? Uh, I like I like kind of scripting languages like Python. Um, I, I, Ruby is fine too if you know Ruby better. I, I'm saying this specifically <laughs> to counter what you said earlier. Um, you know, I would say any sort of reasonable scripting language is good, although um, I think it's tempting to use Node, and I love Node. Uh, I love Node. I built a whole back end in Node with like a live chat server and a REST API server, and it was a lot of fun. And I had a great time, and I would not necessarily recommend Node for uh, browser automation or even, I mean, like API automation, it's maybe not as bad. But the reason is uh, because of kind of the single threaded nature and that sort of stuff of Node, a lot of things require async JavaScript programming. And if you're somebody who, and a lot of, a lot of QA engineers are, you know, not server developers. You know, they're not, they're not back-end developers. They're, they're often not even, I, I would say, like kind of uh, framework-y sort of like data structure on the front-end developers either. So that async kind of programming where it's like you're returning promises and you're dot then, or you have these, uh, you know, the callbacks that you're doing or that sort of stuff, it, it can make something that in Python, where it's like, well, you want something async, you just right. make a thread. Right. 
in Node, it, the, it's much more in your face that what you're doing is you're dealing with async, uh, uh, you're do, dealing with asynchronous, uh, uh, what's the word, processes. It, it's more obvious and it makes it harder. The bar is higher than you'd think. Yeah, so um, I, I would prefer more like Python, PHP, kind of not, not strongly typed. Um, I mean, I know that it's like Python is strongly typed in the sense that you can't take something that's an int and make it a string or whatever, but um, where you don't have to worry about like, I am declaring an int this. I say this as somebody who started off in C-sharp doing automation. Right. It was like, learn C-sharp, learn automation, good luck. Um, but I, I would recommend those, those sorts of things. And Python uh, specifically, which I just have more experience with, has uh, the very, very nice library requests, which makes it so that uh, when you want to get into API automation or you want to kind of cheat uh, the UI stuff a little bit, like don't really want to have to go through our login UI every time, so why don't I instead just hit the API directly, get the cookie, put it in, maybe refresh the page if I have to, and skip that whole nonsense so that I don't have tests where it's like, your payment page test failed. And it's like, well, it didn't actually fail because the payment page is wrong. It failed because your login's broken, or it timed out or something. Um, yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I don't have a lot of experience with Python, but I can already tell that I think I would like it. It's it's nice. Um, it's easy to get into with an asterisk, which is kind of, and the asterisk is kind of like it really helps, especially in automation. Um, I mean, anything um, if you can kind of get your head around uh, classes, because it's easy to script with it. But when you just write these straight up scripts, it gets kind of tricky because it's like some page changed and now you have 20 tests that all reference some hard-coded selector on this page and you have to go through and change each of them individually. But if you know how to use classes and you know how to kind of move those in, you fix the class that represents the page, bam, they're all fixed. Um, you know, the page object pattern is kind of a big it's one of those things that's like... I know, that's what it comes up yeah. at like every SauceCon and like yep. people spend a lot of time talking about that. Yep. There are alternatives, but it's like the obvious way that's good enough most of the time. Yeah. All right, so to close out, because you have to eat your Cubano. <laughs> it was a Cubano, right? And I already went through the carnage of my chicken and waffles. Um, <laughs> so we... Shockingly, we haven't said the word containers or Kubernetes yet. Mm. So just give me your like quick point of view on the container Kubernetes world. Um, <laughs> sorry, uh, yeah. I, I've actually started getting into that more. Um, I was talking earlier about uh, setting up a node backend and that whole thing. That's a side project that I've worked with, with some friends and uh, ex-coworkers of mine. Um, I've used containers uh, for that. We use uh, the Google Cloud as our okay. cloud provider. I, I really like it because um, it just makes deploying things so much easier. And I'm, I'm not necessarily talking about Kubernetes here. It's That's something I've looked into, but I've never been in a place where the benefit outweighed kind of that initial cost. Um, 
which is, I mean, it's it, there's a lot going on with it. Right. Um, but if it's like, a, a lot of it, I think, is is now kind of you can find a nice balance between things that sort of take care of those details and things that give you enough control over it. You know, Google Cloud, I'm sure that it has some sort of Kubernetes thing in the background, but if you use their container service. Not anymore. I think even though that's where Kubernetes came from, I think they've already moved on. Oh, to off to their yeah. own. Well, I, whatever, the, I mean, I would say that from a user's perspective, at least with their container service, it doesn't matter. The like, I, I don't, I don't fine. care. It does the job. I have my, you know, node servers that, uh, especially with the REST one, which, you know, you don't have to worry about state. Um, you know, I have those servers and I just say, you know, have one going all the time. If you get enough, if you get, quote, enough traffic, whatever that's defined as, just make more of them. I don't care. Do it. And it works just fine. And I, I, I love that. And not happy to worry about, like, how do you deploy to a new server? How do you blah, blah, blah. It's like, that's, that's a beautiful thing. And um, I would say that it's still very, so for development, I like it a lot. Um, I'm a big fan. And uh, the learning curve is, it's there. It's not that bad, I think. Um, but uh, for, I think it's really underrated for um, testing. And the reason I say that is because uh, anybody who's done testing for a long enough time, especially browser testing, but not exclusively, you will end up with a situation where your browser version updates, but the uh, automation framework that you're using doesn't. And we had one time where one person in our team of like nine people, one person, the tab key just didn't work. We had it where it was like tabbing through a form because we were checking accessibility. And it just didn't work. It just didn't tab anywhere. It just kept typing everything into the same, into the same thing. And we were like, what in the world is going on? And then it happened to somebody else. And then it happened to somebody else. And it turned out the browser version had updated. It changed something about its automation API. And uh, as auto updates happen through the team, things started going wrong. So we were like, turn off auto update. Stop it. And, but if you have, uh, if you have, and this is more difficult with Windows like Edge right. and IE because they're still kind of just now getting into the container right. world. But um, you can now have it where for Selenium, uh, and I'm sure for other ones as well, you can get a specific a container that will spin up a server for a specific version of that browser right. and a specific version of the Selenium API. And you can, you get, you have that additional overhead of needing to think about what version you're on, but you no longer have that, oh, the browser updated, right. nothing right. works You know exactly anymore. what it is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even Sauce Labs is running on Kubernetes now and containers, oh, it's it. awesome. And it. in that shift, I got to talk to some of the engineers there, and there's a lot of interesting complexities, but that yeah. shift was a big thing. Something I'm curious about that, if you don't mind me. Go for it. Um, is one of the tricky bits with uh, browsers especially, and I would imagine it's the same way with like if you're automating mobile devices and that sort of stuff, um, is it's very stateful. You know, right? Um, and one of the suggestions that I've seen—I mean, I use air quotes there—but I mean, it's a legit suggestion. Is oh well, you know, you spin up a server for a test, and then when it's done, you just throw it in the trash and you make a new one, right? Um, 
that that sort of like make it when it's needed and then get rid of it when it's not like that seems sort of like not the pattern that most of these like Kubernetes is more like you have stable servers and like no, you scale it down so. to scale it up. No, no. Interesting. I no, have never. I think that yeah, the huh. short the you know for a lot of like in the world of microservices, these containers in some cases last minutes. Interesting. You know they they're not. They're not set it and forget it like it used to be, and it's really cool. I'll have to relook at uh, yeah. relook at that. Now that, Kubernetes yeah. is a bitch to get set up, and that's <laughs> sure. why there's like a whole tool ecosystem around it. But it's getting better, yeah. and you know I think people have learned a lot about it, and I still don't think it's as bad as tools like OpenShift and stuff like that. But um, but yeah, I think that uh, short-lived containers is a very common thing, um, but it does. The thing that's been really interesting to me yeah. about containers is that it implies an application architecture as much as it does infrastructure. So it kind of forces you to change how your application is architected. Um, and I think you almost have to move to microservices at some point. But I would say though that at least there is that payoff. You know, scale the parts that need scaling. Don't right. Yeah, leave you the can't other do it all. Long. You can't do it all. I mean, admittedly, like, I don't think I've talked to anybody again except for the unicorns like Slack and and so forth, who's 100% Kubernetes or 100% containers. It's just not a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right tool for the job. I mean, that's what I think it comes down to. Like we've talked already here. Yeah. Well, Chris, thanks for your time. I'm going to let you finish your <laughs> sandwich. And I think we are going to end up doing another one of these because I didn't get to ask you about video games. Oh, um, yeah. But we'll, we'll do that next time. Um, but thanks for taking me here to Steuben's. And, no, uh, thanks yeah. for coming out. And uh, you have to listen to Crystal's episode because she talks trash about you. It is so awful. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks. Take care.